0: Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. What's up, everybody, and welcome in to Commanding the Huddle. I am your host, Ryan Fowler from the Draft Network, and before we get in to Washington's loss on Christmas Eve in the Bay, 37-20 against the San Francisco 49ers, as always, this podcast is brought to you by our friends at Bet Online, who continue to be the number one source for all your betting needs with first-to-market odds and lines. Whether you're looking to place a bet on the NFL, the upcoming college football playoff, the NBA, or NHL, you can find all of your betting needs over at Betonline.com. So you head over to the website today. Use your mobile device to get 50% off your first welcome deposit using our promo code Believe50. That's B-L-E-A-V-50. Again, Believe50. B-L-E-A-V-50 to get 50% off your first deposit. Bet online, where the game starts. All right, ladies and gentlemen, let's jump into today's recap. A uh, lot to get to, obviously. 3720. Not a lot of positives, a lot of negatives. Um, but it's uh, the main thing for me is you look at this game, there's things to improve upon. And as you move it now into week 17 against the Browns at home, and you finish the season against the Dallas Cowboys at home in week 18, you look at the back end of this NFC wildcard picture before even Washington kicked off on Sunday, they sat at the seventh seed no matter what. Giants lost at the sixth seed, the Lions lost to the Panthers in Carolina. The Seahawks lost to the Chiefs in Kansas City. So Washington, entering that 4 o'clock kickoff, they were in a good spot. If they won, they would have jumped up to the 6th seed. If they lost, like they did, they're still at the 7th seed. So really, heading into that game, you head into the halftime, and it's a tie ball game. You got some positives there. But there's, there's just so much to get to. I know you guys are probably having a little bit of a Christmas hangover. The last few days have kind of gotten away from us. It feels like the game was two weeks ago. But moving in to week 17 and the Cleveland Browns and looking at Washington's offense, because that's why I have to start today. Obviously, we saw Taylor Heineke and we saw Carson Wentz. We talked about that during the week as far as rumblings coming out of Ashburn, that there was a potential to see Carson Wentz on Sunday. And despite Taylor was good, in that first half, he was accurate, he was decisive, he was pumping throws with some consistency. We've talked about him being more of a flash in the pan to consistency, but it was the same type of stuff that came back to bite Taylor again this week. Turning the ball over inside the shadow of your own goal line. Inside the 20, inside the 30. Turn the ball over again. Now, the biggest thing for me with Taylor's turnovers in that ball game, especially as he worked into in the second half, was a lot of it correlated with what the offensive line was doing was absolutely abysmal. You look at Charles Leno, Wes Schweitzer, these guys combined for 10 pressures. They only had one sack. That front seven for the 49ers only had one sack. Of course it was Nick Bosa, but how Washington was structurally and conceptually was blocking San Francisco's front four didn't make any sense, but it all correlates Heineke not getting rid of the ball. You're getting more time for Bosa and these guys to get after Heineke, and it turns into sacks. It turns into turnovers. That interception, it was ugly. He was shell-shocked. He had happy feet in the pocket. Trying to target Brian Robinson and just pick and the linebacker just picks it off. It was just ugly. It wasn't a forced ball down the middle of the field where someone tips it in the air and it was kind of a fluke interception. It was just an ugly pick. And is he moving in that second half and you're chasing the ball game and the defense can't get off the field? They can't stop the run. Now, granted, you look at Christian McCaffrey's numbers, a guy that can obviously take over a game plan any single week. He only had had 15 attempts for 46 yards, basically three yards a pop, and he was uninvolved in the passing game. He had two targets, two catches, 12 yards. It wasn't a typical kind of a Carolina-like workload for Christian McCaffrey, to where he has over 100 yards on the ground and 100 yards in the air. Now he got in the end zone, but from an overall perspective as far as limiting Christian McCaffrey, I thought Washington did a good job, and I don't think De'Ron Payne had a great game. I don't think Montez Sweat had a great game. I thought Chase Young, our first glimpses of Chase Young, that third and one when he slid in and was reduced, remember he lines as a five-tech outside the right tackle, the outside shoulder, he reduced inside, meaning he's now a 3-tech outside the shoulder of the guard. He just reduced inside, flew inside the inside that A gap and just blew up the run on that third down. It just really an immediate impact play for number 99. He looked juiced up, he looked healthy, he looked quick, he looked strong. In my opinion, outside of really Jeremy Reeves, on Saturday night, he was Washington's best defender. And, and him and Reeves were just outstanding the whole game. I love seeing those two fly around. Jeremy Reeves is a guy, obviously Cam Curl, huge loss, not being active. He tested that ankle pregame in front of Ron Rivera and the athletic staff, and it, it just didn't work out. Right? He didn't look good enough to play. It was a big loss. Derek Forrest was playing more of that single high when they wanted to show too high with Bobby McCain. I thought Bobby was okay, but Derek coming down in that robber spot, he's used to playing in the box, but playing so high for consistently in that ball game, it, it wasn't great. It, it was one of the one of the worst performances I've seen from Derek Forrest this year and really of his career, being that static at times secondary roof defender alongside Bobby McCain with Cam Curl not there. And we missed it, obviously, with Cam Curl being able to work over George Kittle. Kittle was unstoppable. I mean, he, he was just fantastic. Eight targets, six catches, 120 yards, and two touchdowns. As long as catch of the day was 34 yards. He was unstoppable. We talked about how important the linebackers were going to be this week in limiting the run and trying at their best to limit the passing game over the middle of the field where Brock Purdy and that Shanahan offense that we talked about loves to target the middle of the field and allow George to catch the ball and make his way up the field. He did that, the the, the script was it was the script was there. That's exactly what they want to do, and they executed it. There's a difference between having a game plan and then executing a game plan on game day. Brock Purdy wasn't fantastic by any means, but he was efficient. He had 15 completions, 22 attempts, 234 yards, and two touchdowns, and that lone interception to Derek Forrest. A good play, more of a tip play. Kind of, you can call it a fluke if you want, but it's a good play. Got Washington back in that ballgame for some momentum in, in, excuse me, in that ballgame. But Brock Purdy was efficient. He was under control. Washington had three sacks in that ball game. They got after him a little bit, but nothing as far as blitzing. There was a lot of sending four, trying, I, I, trying to force Purdy to beat him with his arm, beat Washington with his arm, and he did that at times, especially why with George Kittle over the middle field. There's a lot of David Mayo. John Bostick was on the bench. He obviously got hurt in that ball game. Jamin Davis was trying his best. Uh, out there, but we know that the linebacker spot, especially in coverage, is—it's just a hole for this defense. Cole Holcomb has been a huge lapse in this defense this year. Him being hurt is has hurt this defense. He's not a dynamic cover guy. We saw how dynamic Fred Warner and Dre Greenlaw were over the middle of the field on Saturday, as we spoke about just how dynamic they are in the run game. We had a limited push. Along their front five, I thought Brian Robinson did a nice job. They had 22 carries for 58 yards. He had 17 of his 22 carries came in the first half. So when they were chasing that ball game in the second half, when we saw more Carson Wentz, you know, Brian Robinson just wasn't involved. Antonio Gibson, he's not even in the game plan. Five carries, 10 yards, two yards a pop, two catches in the passing game, 21 yards. He was returning some kicks and then got benched and Dax Milne was returning kicks. There's some questions to be raised as we move forward with Antonio Gibson's future in Washington. Because right now, I mean, we saw some Jonathan Williams, three carries, 13 yards. He was targeted in the passing game three times, just like Antonio was. He had two catches in 28 yards. There's questions to be raised with Antonio Gibson as well as what his workload is. Because Brian Robinson's the workhorse. That's what it was going to be from week one if we didn't obviously have that unfortunate scenario in the offseason. But now, this is Brian Robinson's offense to run with. He is the guy, but there was no interior push from left guard to right guard with Norwell Schweitzer at center and Trey Turner at right guard. And then out at right tackle, we even saw a mix again of Cornelius Lucas and Sam Cosby basically splitting the snaps evenly. Charles Linnell at left tackle was abysmal. And the front five for Washington has been a positive these last few years. They have been a positive. It doesn't really matter who's been along the front five. Offensive line coach, John Masco, who I've talked to a ton about on this podcast, done a good job, but the interior against San Francisco had no push. They didn't even have Kevin Gibbons playing on a Saturday evening, but they consistently got a push within the, within the middle. And they had those linebackers fill those gaps just so smoothly transitions. It's just excellent football defensively had a couple good runs here and there, especially in that fourth quarter when Brian really got going. But you have that 4th and 1 stop inside the San Francisco 5? You don't put it in. We talk about having consistency inside the red zone and getting points. I didn't mind the 4th down call, but it was the plays that led up to it. Not really involving Taylor Heineke's legs, kind of being static in those plays leading up to that 4th and 1. You get stopped and you're going, okay, defense is playing decently well. Let's force Brock Purdy to drive 99 yards. And that's exactly what they did in 3 minutes. Obviously headlined by that Ray-Ray McLeod, 71-yard end-around. He just outran everybody. Very well blocked. You look at Christian McCaffrey on that play, him busting his tail downfield to seal that outside backer on that play. Just a really nice job and a well-executed play. The San Francisco offense isn't crazy sexy. It's not. It's not sexy as a Cincinnati or even a Minnesota and what they do or a Kansas City Or what Buffalo can do with Stephon Diggs on the outside and Josh Allen and his dynamic ability. They're not crazy sexy. It's just very, it's simplified. That was the the word of the podcast on Thursday. Simplified for Brock Purdy. But when you have someone under center that understands what he's looking at against the defense. And he's just able to pick and pop here and there. Doesn't have to take deep shots. Everything's organized in the ground game. What they want to do as far as conceptualizing, we're going to run here, pass here, play action here, little screen pass here to open up a deep pass to bring those safeties up. Everything is just so well-scripted within that offense because Brock Purdy, again, is not the most talented guy in the world. But in this last month, and it was on Saturday night, they scored 37 points. And Washington, again, can't get above the 20-point mark. They scored over 20 points once. And the last month and a half of football, five weeks, one time over 20 points. And then now, obviously, with Taylor Heineke, it's going to be Carson Wentz moving forward. In this stretch of ball games, it's going to be Carson Wentz. Obviously, in that back half of that ball game, you didn't really get a good glimpse of what Carson can offer. You have to look back to week one and week two. That's what the best Carson Wentz was this year before the injury, really before Chase Roulier went out. It's going to be a heck of a test for this offense now. Because it is going to be Carson Wentz moving forward. You can't go back to Heineke. You're just not going to. It's not going to happen. Heck, we may not even see Taylor Heineke ever again in the, the bargaining gold. Who knows? Who knows? Guys are to get paid too. But it's just unfortunate because here we go again with the same carousel. Spinning around. On that axis that continues to turn. Of what Washington's going to do at Quarterback. Early in that ball game, we knew heading in that Washington had an advantage on the outside. Javarius Ward, Deamondor Lenoir, Samuel Womack—those are the guys that they threw out on the outside—and you got Terry McLaurin, Jahan Dotson, Terry again in the first half, one catch. He headed into the third quarter with one catch. He ended the game four catches, 77 yards, and a touchdown. Jahan Dotson, absolutely fantastic. Why he didn't have more than nine targets, I don't know. We knew that the San Francisco defense was going to bracket and double Terry McLaurin all day long. That's what defenses do against elite receivers in the league. You take them out of a game plan as much as you can. Terry is Terry. He gets his whenever he can. When he's targeted, usually comes down with the football. When he's given opportunities, usually positive things happen. Jahan, now we're seeing him blossom in front of our eyes. He's been fantastic. Again, nine targets, six catches, 76 yards, and a touchdown. Diamador Lenois, second-year kid out of Oregon, they took on day three, had no shot. Couldn't hold Jahan's lunch all day long. But we—it was just times where we would go two, three series without testing him on the outside. And there's just no excuse not to do that. I understand t- t- to Sean Gibson and Tal- Funga or their safeties, and they're good players. But I'm just talking about isolated matchups on the outside. And every single time, number one was targeted. He's coming down with the football. Now, except for that first drive when he had that touchdown, that would have been a touchdown. If he separated at the uh, 35 yards downfield, a great play to separate at the top of his stem. But he's got to catch the ball. Would have been a touchdown. So we had two touchdowns on the day, especially in their first series of the game. would like him to come down with that. Got to catch the football. But overall, in the workload that we saw Jahan have, he's fantastic. Terry... We know what we get from Terry McLaurin. Curtis Samuel, in the run game, I'm glad he didn't have five, six carries. He had one carry for two yards, five catches, 52 yards, and a touchdown. So Terry, Jahan, and Curtis all had a touchdown. Obviously, Curtis just came in that fourth quarter when the 49ers playing that prevent that cover four, they where they're just accepting everything 10 to 15 yards down the field, not really trying to show anything defensively, just allowing Washington to move, their, move the ball down the field. That's when Carson was in the game. He hit Logan Thomas a ton. Six catches, 35 yards, his highest of the year. Logan, I mean, John and John Bates and Cole Turner, they, they still remain uninvolved in the game plan from an aerial perspective. But it was good to see Jahan, Terry, and Curtis get in the end zone. That's great. Those are, those are your three studs in the outside. They all got in the end zone. That's a positive. That's what you have to have moving forward to Cleveland where it really is a must-win game. Because not just now you have to look out for what the Giants are doing, what the, what the Seahawks are doing. What the Lions are doing? Who now play the Bears this week? And you're, I'm sure the Lions are going to come back firing on all cylinders. Now you got to look out for the Packers as well, who beat the Dolphins yesterday in Miami, and they're seven and eight, so they've got seven wins, just like Washington has. Now Washington has a tiebreaker who beat them earlier in the year, but you're in a situation now where you're consistently every single week because you're not winning ball games, and it has been almost a month since we've seen Washington win a football game. Because remember, they had the tie against the Giants. Then you got the bye. Then you lost to the Giants. Now you lost to the Niners. Now we're playing this week at home against Cleveland. It's been a month since we've seen Washington win a football game at the back end of the season, the most important time. We talked about the middle of the year, the meat of the season, how well Washington was playing. But this, like we talked about, evaluation period for Taylor Heineke, and he's failed. The first half of that ball game, he was passing with flying colors. He was executing, being decisive. He was on target, clear with his reads. He was getting rid of the ball in the pocket. But that second half and turning over the football, this is consecutive weeks, three, four weeks in a row now, where Taylor's turning the ball over inside his own own shadow of his own goal line. You You just can't have it. That's the easiest way to end up holding a clipboard in this league at running back, quarterback. Can't turn the ball over. You just can't, especially where you are in the field, where he's been turning it over. It cannot happen. The interception, ugly. The strip sacks the last few weeks, a lot of that, Charles Leno, it's got to get better. I mean, ISO blocking him with Nick Bosa, I don't get it. The two-point conversion that we had, you're blocking John Bates, Nick Bosa one-on-one. How'd that work out for you? Stop blocking elite edges with tight ends. It does not work in this league. It doesn't. It may work in high school, but it doesn't work here. This is the NFL, and Nick Bosa is going to be the defensive player of the year, most likely. You can't block John Bates. I get he's a good blocker, but come on. I mean, are we making sense here. So there's a lot of frustrations from that ball game, but at the end of the day, you are the seven seed, and you do have the six and nine Cleveland Browns coming into town that are struggling. Now they're going to lean on that run game with Nick Chubb, one of the top backs in football, and Kareem Hunt. But this is huge. This upcoming ball game could be a must-win because you look at Dallas. Heck, they're trying to catch the Eagles. They beat them on Saturday. Now it's Gardner Minshew leading the Eagles, and Jalen Hurts is still battling an injury with his shoulder. But the Cowboys are still trying to make their way up. Like they're they're going to stay the five seed. Now I don't think anyone's going to catch them at the five seed. But heck, they're trying to challenge the Eagles. It's probably not going to happen. But as you move into that that Week 18 game at home, wrapping up the season, it feels like they're going to be playing for something. So this is just these next few weeks with as many questions as Washington has, losing by 17 on the road to when you were tied at half, you allowed 30 points in the second half to an offense that you made a seventh round rookie, I understand he's playing well, and I'm the I'm the again the biggest proponent of I don't care where you're drafted, or what school you came from, you can play, you can play, but obviously he's fell into a good situation that Shanahan offense. You made him look like Joe Montana on Saturday afternoon. Didn't throw any blitzes at him, nothing unique. You finally threw Bobby McCain off the edge with one blitz. What happened? Ran around for five seconds and pirouetted and threw the ball away. That's what happens when you enforce pressure. Pressure him more. Make him make more reads. allow them to sit back there for two and a half, three and a half seconds, and just pick George Kittle over the middle of the field five, six yards here and there. Because their their weapons on the outside again. Brandon Ayuk was obviously a huge a huge weapon in in, in their aerial game. Five catches, eighty one yards. Not going to break the bank for anybody. We didn't see Debo Samuel. Again, Ray-Ray McLeod was their special teams guy, kind of a gadget player like Curtis Samuel is in this offense. Now, Curtis is a much better receiver than he is. I don't want to disrespect Curtis in any way, but he's more of that gadget guy in their offense. Jawan Jennings is their receiver too on Saturday, two catches, 21 yards. But you didn't enforce any pressure on Brock Purdy. Make him beat you. And then on, on Saturday, you just allowed him, you, you want to rush four? I get it. You got your guys back. You're getting the band back along the front four. But send pressure. Make him beat you within the ears as well, along with him actually making the throw. Because there was a couple times, actually, where Washington was able, if they weren't able to get pressure, you saw Deron Payne. You saw John Ridgway getting their hands up in the passing lane. Brock Purdy's not a 6'3", 6'4", quarterback. Not the biggest guy in the world. So what do you do as a defensive lineman? If you really can't get in, if you can't push the pocket, get your hands up. The Washington did a good job of that in the first half. That's why it was 7-7. So there's positives there. I talked about in the preview podcast how I do think the Niners are the best team in the NFC. They looked like it on Saturday. In all phases of the game. Offense, defense, and special teams. They looked like it. But from Washington's standpoint, now at 7-7-1, and in year three of the Ron Rivera experiment, we're back to 500 football where we were... For the last two years, it's 500 football. What does that tell me? We're an average team. We have holes. I think we all understand that. But there are so many instances this year where Washington could have 9 or 10 wins right now. And you could even potentially push for more. I look at the Tennessee game. I look at the Minnesota game. I look at both of the Giants games. That's four games right there. And if I'm doing my math right, 7 plus 4 is 11. I don't want to be reaching and trying to grab on to to, to high-hanging fruit here or just trying to grab on to something. But there are positives here. You got Chase Young back. He was damn good along the front four. You saw what you got in Jeremy Reeves on the back end. We've had for a long time. Special teams usually paves the way for guys to have snaps on, on defense and sometimes offense. He got an opportunity. He was good on Saturday with Cam curlout. Didn't want to throw Percy Butler too much in the fire. Get Jeremy Reeves out there. Obviously understands the defense, and he did a really nice job. Chase Young, tip of the cap to him. 13 months it's been since he hasn't been on the field, and he was excellent. He was all over the field, all over the field. And that's what you expect from a guy that's a number two overall pick. That looked healthy, and I'm really excited to see him now. Full strength, even more snaps next week against Cleveland. These last two games at home are huge. They're huge. And if Washington wants to get in the playoffs, they got to stop losing ballgames. You got to win. You got to control your own destiny. You're the seventh seed. You continue to win, you're going to be in the playoffs. But relying on these other teams you continue to lose, Did anybody really expect the Panthers to dominate the Lions like they did? I think the Lions are a hell of a ball club. I think Carolina's playing decent football now with Steve Wilkes as the interim, interim head coach there, but they're still led by Sam Darnold at quarterback. They blew out the Lions, they took him behind the barn as an old ass whooping. But you can't continually rely on other teams to lose. At some point, you got to say, we got to take care of our own business. The middle of the season, Washington took care of their business after starting one and four. But now you're back to seven, seven and one. And these last two weeks are the biggest weeks of the season. And now you're moving forward with Carson Wentz at quarterback. Tons of questions, tons of things to be answered, not just these last two games, but you're pushing for the playoffs. And as we move into the off season, what kind of is the stance of this Washington franchise because seven seven and one is an average ball club. What they've been for now three consecutive years under Ron Rivera for a roster on both sides of the ball in all three phases, that you have talent. You do. We've seen it in multiple sports this year with a ton of talent on this team. It's just taking that next step. It's executing in the red zone. It's taking care of the football. It's executing assignments on defense on the back end. We saw some Benjamin St. Juiced, even though he went out after the first play, then came back in. He was rough on Saturday evening. I thought Kendall Fuller was okay. Danny Johnson had his, had his spurts, but he was average. Bobby McCain, again, was fine. But Derek Forrest was not good on Saturday. The middle of the defense, David Mayo, not good. Jamin Davis was okay, but coverage, not good. Offensive line, abysmal, abysmal run game, had no push. Ryan Robinson, consistently a guy that falls forward. Very rare to see him fall back in a pile or just have no space to move. He's going to, if there's a hole, Brian Robinson's going to see it and have fun tackling 225 pounds, you know, 10 yards down the field. But this is a scenario right now where you're, now you're changing quarterbacks and you're the seven seed in the playoffs with two humongous games to finish at home. But what better spot, right? Finishing your last two games of the season at home. And I think Washington is in a good spot to win this week against the Cleveland Browns. And I have a preview out for you of the Cleveland, but again, the six and nine from the AFC North Cleveland Browns led by running back Nick Chubb, defensive lineman Miles Garrett, that Washington's going to have to prepare for another elite edge rusher that this front five is going to have to face. And there's, there's got to be some things fixed up. Fixed up front. We talked about the centers on their fourth center with Schweitzer there obviously on Saturday night in the last two games he's been there. We saw the swap with Cosme and Lucas at right tackle. Trey Turner right guard. That this is that's a stopgap option. Charles on at left tackle. There's a ton of questions on this front five. And obviously we know Washington's game is with the run, right? Everything feeds through the run game in Brian Robinson and Antonio Gibson. If they're not able to get the run game going, Going to be trouble. So, that's something that is huge this week. They got to figure it out a practice and a massive game in week 17 coming up against the Cleveland Browns. So, that's going to do it for today's episode. I hope you guys enjoyed. First off, I hope you guys had a great Christmas. It was super cold. No snow. I mean, if it's going to be this cold out, got to get some snow or something. You know, this is like five degrees and wind. Can't do it. Cold. It's ridiculously cold out. So, I hope you guys have been staying warm. Same with family. Hope you guys enjoyed. I had a Merry Christmas Eve following the game. And then obviously yesterday with Christmas, hope we got a lot of good presents and just time with family just to enjoy that. And obviously we's move now into this week and we got New Year's coming up next Saturday night. But I hope you guys enjoyed the podcast. If you did, please leave a like, review, share, subscribe. If you don't follow me already on Twitter, I am underscore Ryan Fowler. Again, we're on Spotify. We're on Apple Podcasts. All my written work is housed at the Draft Network. Com. Again, always appreciate your time. Again, I have a full preview out for you of the Cleveland Browns on Thursday afternoon. A huge week 17 game at FedEx Field at 1 o'clock. So again, thank you guys for tuning in. I will talk to you on Thursday. I'm Ryan Fowler from the Draft Network. And this is Commanding the Huddle. Thank you for listening to Believe.